Hello. At Church Central, we're spending lockdown looking at the body of Jesus' teaching that is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And some of you may well be familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and I've got to say that today I have in the preaching sweepstakes, I have genuinely hit the jackpot here. I mean, some of you will know uh, some of Jesus' teaching in this passage and you might think, well, what would be nice to preach on? It could be, I don't know, the Beatitudes had that one. So I can't do that one today, but it could be like love your enemies. It's a challenging teaching, but it's, uh, you know, it's pithy, all that sort of stuff. I don't know. It could be the Lord's Prayer. That would be uh, something that's going to come up soon. But no, I don't get any of them today. What I'm looking at today is Jesus' teaching that is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. And I think I'll let Jesus speak for himself and you'll probably see what I mean. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You have heard the law that says, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You see what I mean? It, it's a reasonably full on passage. And so as I came to this passage to prepare, I, I thought pretty early on, I have three choices about what I could do with this reasonably full on passage. Uh, option number one, I could have uh, designed a talk that made kind of oblique and veiled references uh, to the general topic at hand to kind of avoid uh, embarrassment and ensure that our young kids um, who might be watching it with us don't ask too many difficult questions at the dinner table. I could have done that. Uh, but I'm not going to do that. Um, in fact, I, I am aware of the kind of problems that might present those. So because I'm not doing that, um, I chatted to uh, Esther Moore, who does uh, the kids resources so brilliantly each week. Thank you so much, Esther, uh, for that. And uh, we've come up with a plan. She's designed kids resources, as we always would do for our online sermons at Church Central. But you'll be very glad to hear they are not on the topic at hand. They're not like a word search about adultery, lust and divorce. That That could be problematic but also she's included in that links to a couple of videos that your kids could watch if you have another device to hand uh, so they if you don't want them to engage in this topic and I would completely understand uh, why that would be the case just so you know the videos also are not on lust adultery or divorce okay so it's completely up to you recognize the problems that my approach is going to take uh, but I didn't want to uh, just miss the point of the passage at all that leaves another option, though. I could have done this. Um, as you listen to what um, I just read or read it along yourself, you may have noticed there are some reasonably controversial things that come up here. I'm not talking about the sex stuff. We'll, we'll get on to that later. But just other controversial stuff that appears in the passage. I can think of uh, three things, particularly massive questions. Someone might ask this uh, about this passage as we come into it. And I could quite easily have spent our time today just talking about those controversies. We all love controversies, uh, don't we? Um, and so that would have been another good way to avoid the embarrassment of talking about what Jesus is actually talking about. I've decided to opt against option two as well, which leaves me, as I see it, uh, with just one one thing to do. And this is what I want to do today. Um, I just want to keep it simple 
And I want to just spell out what Jesus seems to pretty clearly and obviously be saying in this passage. In fact, I can do that right now, right at the beginning of the talk. What is the clear and obvious message that Jesus is trying to communicate here? I think it's this. Jesus doesn't want us to have sex with people that we're not married to. It's what adultery in this uh, passage, the word behind that, um, could mean someone who's married having sex with someone they're not married to or someone having sex with someone who's married to someone else, as we would use the word. But more broadly, it just means having sex to anyone you're not married to. That's what it means. The message of the passage is Jesus doesn't like it. Also, he goes a bit further. Jesus doesn't want us fantasizing about having sex with people we're not married to. Lust. Jesus doesn't want us looking at pornography. Those sort of things. That's pretty clear in the passage too. And I guess the third thing we could say is also, quite simply, Jesus doesn't like divorce. And it's not that he just doesn't like these things. It's not just that he thinks, oh, they're, they're things I just don't get on with so well. They don't sit with me well. No, in this passage, clearly Jesus is at pains to communicate that from his perspective, these things are incredibly serious and we must do all that is within our power to avoid them like the plague. I think we can understand uh, through all the other things that are going on, what's going on here, what Jesus is trying to say. And I think we need to focus on that today. But the thing about reading the Bible, it's not just about understanding what it says and what God wants to communicate in a certain passage. As uh, we'll see lots in the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' main preoccupations here is that we shouldn't just be hearers and understanders of the word. We should be doers of the word. We need to apply this stuff to our lives. Jesus wants us to live in the good of what he says, not just to understand it. And because of that, more needs to be said than the obvious thrust of this passage. I want to underline what the passage is saying. And we're going to come back to that as time goes on. Jesus is pretty blunt here. And I'm afraid I'm going to be pretty blunt at some points too. But I can't just leave it at the bluntness because I want to also help us uh, to apply this. I, I don't want us to make the mistake of going away and understanding. And for some of us, that comes with a very significant burden that would just leave things worse than before, probably. I'd like us to be able to go away and apply this in faith as followers of Jesus. So that's the plan then. Um, and with all that said, I want to start by addressing the controversies. I'd like to get them away first, <laughs> not to go back on what I said a minute ago. I just don't think we can leave them or they'll be in your head for the whole time. And then after that, I want to dig a little bit deeper uh, into the passage uh, and see uh, some, some background that I think can help us apply this stuff. The controversies. I think there are three of them here. Firstly, what is all this business about gouging out our eyes and cutting off our hands? Now, I'm sure I could spend 10 minutes or so um, waxing lyrical on the ancient tools of rhetoric used in the ancient world. But as I've said already, I'm not going to do that. I just want to ask the simple question. Why would he talk like this? And again, there's surely a simple answer, isn't it? He's saying this is really, really, really serious. This is hugely important for all of us. And however many times you've heard this before, when you think of you could gouge out your eye or cut off your hand. Jesus is saying, this is vitally important you hear. This is a serious business we're talking about here, whatever your culture says. 
And that moves on to the second controversy that comes in the same uh, bit, I guess, uh, which is the whole talk of of hell. In verse 29, uh, Jesus says, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, I don't probably need to say it, but hell is more than enough of a hot potato on its own. But in the context here, other questions arise. Questions like, for example, well, isn't Jesus talking to his followers? Isn't he talking to his disciples in some respect here? He can't be talking to me as a Christian, surely, because for those who are disciples of Jesus, who've accepted his salvation, um, who've been forgiven by him, who know his unconditional love. Well, hell's off the table, isn't it? Why would Jesus bring that up? That seems inappropriate. You know what those questions I think are really good questions uh, to think about. I think they're really good questions to investigate further. But I'm afraid I'm not going to investigate them much further here. Again, I just want to direct us onto the force of what Jesus is saying. I don't want to distract us. And all I'll say is this. Why does he bring up hell here? Well, the very least we can say is this is to do exactly what I mentioned a minute ago. He's surely underlining just how serious all this stuff is. It's like he's getting a a, a bold highlighter and saying, listen, this is serious. Guys, he's grabbing us by the shoulders and saying, don't look at porn. Don't have sex with people that you're not married to. Don't even fantasize about having sex with people that you're not married to. Work on your marriage. I think that's at least partly why he's bringing this up, although there's much more to say. That brings us on to our final controversy. And this would be, I think, for some of us, the most important and the one that's sticking in our mind the most. And it's the whole bit about divorce. And maybe you heard uh, the reading uh, a minute ago and the only question that was in your head at the end of it was, wait a minute, does that mean that divorced people in most cases can't get remarried in the eyes of God? I know that on this one, I, I definitely can't take the kind of bull in the china shop approach that I might have been taking up to this point. Now, divorce is incredibly messy. And for anyone who's been involved in a divorce, you'll know that there are very few black and whites here. There's obviously nuance to this stuff and it's incredibly painful uh, process. And for you, this will be personally important, not just theoret- a theoretical theological quandary. Actually, while I'm not downplaying those questions because I I see that they're very live for people, I'm afraid, like I said before, I'm not going to be able to do them justice in this talk. But what I would like to do is push you towards a resource which I think will really help. Last year in a a series called Blueprint, I think it was kind of the middle of 2019, uh, Jonathan did a talk on the topic of divorce and remarriage specifically, where he looked at other bits of the Bible and this this teaching as well. Uh, And I really advise you, if this is a live issue for you uh, in your life, I'd really advise you to go and check out that talk and I'm sure it will really, really help you. Now, with that said, and taking into account all the sensitivities I've just mentioned, I think just want to bring us back to the main point again here of of the talk, because while there are very few black and whites in something as complicated as divorce, I do find it interesting that still Jesus, the most sensitive and wise person there has ever been. uh, That's what I would believe as a Christian. He does wade in reasonably unapologetically and with a degree of bluntness, even here. You can ask, well, why? Why would he do that? Why doesn't he caveat here and caveat there? Well, again, taking back to my broad brushstroke approach, I think what he's saying, surely we we should understand the clear bit. 
He's saying divorce is not a get out of jail free card if you're just not happy in your marriage. That's not how people in the kingdom are supposed to operate. As an absolute last resort, it could be permissible. But for anyone who's married, what he's saying is do absolutely everything within your power to avoid this calamity. And sadly, that might not be enough. Sometimes there's nothing we can do about the decisions of others. But what we can do is attend to our own decisions. And for those who are married here who are listening, I'd really want to impress on you Jesus' message here. I think he's saying this. Please work on your marriage. Don't get complacent. Guard this precious gift of your husband or your wife that God has given you and don't give up on them. Remember those vows you made for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. Keep going. So, yeah, there are questions here and there are questions we should follow up. But overall, like I said, those questions should not overshadow the main point. In fact, I think they they reinforce the main point that this is serious and we need to listen but also to act on what Jesus is saying. But this brings up, I think, our main problem with passages like this. Hearing is one thing. Acting is an, on it is another thing entirely. Now, let's level the playing field here. When it comes to talking about our sexual desires, uh, whether expressed through our bodies or just played out in our minds, this is a reasonably universal message. I'm not talking to a few of you in the corner who experience this sort of stuff. No, we're sexual beings as humans, and I'm imagining we're all in the same boat of all struggling with at least one of these three things that we've been talking about, lust, adultery, or divorce. This will be applicable to us all. However, I do recognise that our responses to what we're hearing might be very different. For example, you could be listening uh, to this message and you might not be a Christian. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for for tuning in. We don't talk about lust, adultery and divorce every week, honest. Um, But if that's the case with you, you might well disagree with everything that I've said and everything that Jesus teaches on this matter. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, um, I would love to do that. And I'm sure others at the church would love to do that. And there's much more, much broader topics we could, uh, things we could talk about with this stuff. But I really hope that God's wisdom impresses itself onto you today and you come back for more in future. So that could be you. On the other hand, you could be a Christian here who, while you're not saying you don't agree with Jesus, I mean, kind of being a Christian is agreeing with Jesus goes to the territory, doesn't it? You might kind of think it's not quite as serious, though, as Jesus has made out. It's possible, I guess, that uh, there are some of you here who are casually checking out porn reasonably regularly. Um, You're engaging in a sexual uh, relationship with um, boyfriend, girlfriend, people on dating sites and things like that. You could be passively watching your marriage uh, career off the edge of a cliff. And in all of those cases, you might be just sitting back and saying, I don't really care. It it doesn't really bother me a whole lot. I guess it's possible that could be you. And if that's you, I'm sorry to say I don't really have a lot to say to you, really. Um, I I really pray that God has mercy on you because I think the course you're taking is going to lead to disaster. But if you won't listen to Jesus, I don't think anything I say is going to help you. And so I'm not going to direct the rest of my talk to you. I want to talk to a group that I think would be the main group of people who would be listening. And for you, you might be a Christian and 
my guess would be for most of you guys, you would be listening and understanding the seriousness of this already. It would be very clear to you. And if you are actually struggling very much at the moment um, with any of these things, with lust, um, uh, or if you're a married person, I guess every one of us could do with working our marriage more. Um, but if you're struggling, I guess you probably don't need to hear someone wagging their finger at you and saying, well, that hour spent masturbating in front of your TV screen, that wasn't time very well spent, was it? You probably don't need to hear that. You know it already. You feel horrible about it. But the reality is that you don't know how to change. And you might well have got to a point where you wonder whether you ever will be able to change. It could be killing you. It could be that you're at the moment watching your spouse grow colder and colder towards you. And you can see yourselves growing further and further apart in your marriage. And you don't need someone to tell you this is serious. You long for it to be different. You long for your part to be able to forgive better. You long to be able to serve more. You long to be part of the solution in your marriage and not part of the problem. But time and time again, you just seem to make it worse. And you don't know whether you can change and you hate yourself for it. For many of us, when we hear Jesus saying this sort of things, we agree with what he's saying, we understand what he's saying, but we feel utterly powerless to do anything about it. And if we're being honest, we just don't have the energy to try anymore. And if that's you, I want to talk to you for the rest of this talk. And I, I really hope I've got something that can help you. And to do that, and I'm getting all very intense and all that sort of thing, let's zoom out of all this sex stuff for a few minutes and get into normal sermon territory. Because I, I think as we look at context, what's happening in the Sermon on the Mount, we see not just a sh shred of hope, but an almighty hope for us here that Jesus isn't just coming with a stick and saying, be better. He's coming alongside us as well and saying, and I can help. So let's zoom out. Let's ask the question, what is going on in the Sermon on the Mount? Is this just a random collection of some thoughts Jesus had while picking daisies on a mountain one day? No, that's not it at all. What's the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount is essentially a manifesto for the kingdom of God. Jesus appeared on the scene with a pretty direct and simple message. You can see it in Matthew 4, 17. He said this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And what he meant was that basically he was instituting an entirely new way to live. He's saying, look, I'm the king and I'm inviting you to come under my rule. It's like he's saying, it's like you guys listening, live in a different country at the moment. You live in a certain country, you live under a certain government and I am offering you an out from that situation. You can come and live in my country under my government. And it doesn't involve moving house. And it doesn't involve getting on a plane or getting a new passport. What it involves is submitting your life to me, to your king, and agreeing to join a new community of others who do the same. The Apostle Paul uh, talks about it in this way and describes it in this way when talking to a group of Christians in a place called Colossae. Uh, in Colossians 1.13, he says this, he says, For God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness 
and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And over the last two weeks, I think what we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount is uh, as Jesus kind of announced, here's the manifesto for the kingdom. He's now started spelling out what kingdom life is supposed to be like. He's spelling out, if you like, the what's expected of citizens of, of the kingdom, how they expected to live. And there's this formula that we've had this week and last week in how Jesus is taught that we're going to see again and again. And it goes like this. You have heard that it was said. And then after that, he says, but I tell you. And these things, you have heard that it was said, they, they all come from a specific place. They haven't just heard them on the grapevine. OK, uh, they're from the Old Testament of the Bible. That's what we call it. They would have called it the law or the law uh, of Moses. But as we've seen, he says, you've heard that it was said. And then what he does straight away is he digs deeper. And as he does that, what he does is he explains that there is a, a type of living expected of servants of the, the king, citizens of the kingdom that goes way beyond how people commonly thought a devout and religious life should be in those days. So last week, very good example. You've heard that it was said, do not commit murder. Well, I tell you, actually, anger is just as bad. And then we come back today and he does exactly the same thing. You've you heard it said, don't commit adultery. No, looking at a woman or a man lustfully is just as bad. What Jesus is saying is, look, this isn't primarily about your actions and your behaviour just. This is about what's going on in here. This is about your heart. We like to think we can separate out what goes on inside us from how we behave outwardly that other people see and so we can uh, it's a very common view in our culture you can think about what you want you can feed your desires on what you want but they don't need to affect how you actually live you can separate those things out complete rubbish and again I make sweeping statements every now and again but I think most people who who've studied humans in any way in any capacity would know this isn't how things work you, you can't do things like that we are whole beings we are we are mind we are heart we are bodies we're, it's all wrapped together in that way and actually the bible is pretty clear that what we feed our minds on and maybe even more than that what we love that's what the heart's about it's what we love those things will inevitably shape the people we are seen to be because that is the people that we are. You may be thinking to yourself now, well, I'll never kill anyone. Well, part of what Jesus is saying is if you don't get your anger under control. Well, you might well kill someone. You might think in line with this talk today, I don't think I'm the kind of person who'd ever have an affair. Well, one of the things Jesus is saying is if you don't deal with your sexual fantasies and cut them off, you are certainly making that possibility more and more likely. And we see this problem uh, of behaviour and heart played out very graphically for us in the story of the Bible in the Old Testament. If we wheel back, some of you remember, will remember uh, this stuff, that God gave his law to Moses um, and it was very thorough and it was very wise. And uh, when he gave the law to Moses and Moses then gave it to the to the people at first if you read the accounts particularly in Deuteronomy the people are incredibly optimistic about their chances of obeying this law they like hear the law and go oh god thank you your law is a light for us in the darkness we now know how to live and you know what we're going to do great at this it's really 
strange passage, the end of Joshua, where Joshua, the leader of God's people after Moses, he challenges the people on this. And he says, look, you've got the law um, and I'm not sure you guys are going to be very good at following this. I kind of know you and I don't want to be rude, but you don't seem the most faithful in all that you do. Are you sure you're in on this? And they, it says in the passage in Joshua 24, they all call back. Yes, we will serve the Lord. Um, Joshua comes back to them again and, and says, well, are you sure? Look, seriously, I, this is going to be difficult. And they come back to him again with words of the kind of nature of don't worry about us, mate. We've got this one sorted. Joshua comes back yet again saying, honestly, and they're like, honestly, we can do this, mate. Don't worry about it. I think what they were thinking was we can avoid the big outward blunders. We're not going to kill anyone. We're not going to have any affairs. But as the history of Israel unravels in the Old Testament, you see they did kill lots of people and they did have lots of affairs. And actually, that was just the tip of the iceberg of their problems. And the reason that Israel went off the tracks, off the rails uh, in the Old Testament was not because of a lack of willpower or self-control. It wasn't a behaviour problem primarily. No, it was a heart problem. Their desires were broken. And even if they wanted to serve God, I think they, they genuinely did want to do that. Their hearts led them away time and time again from him. But here's the amazing thing. You'd have thought God would get pretty fed up by all of this. And yeah, but he does, really. But he doesn't just not give up on his people. What he does in the Old Testament goes on is he promises a day when he would fix their problem. Despite their unfaithfulness, he would get to the root of the problem and he would fix not just their behaviour with some laws, but their hearts. And he promises this in Deuteronomy, just when the law is given. He promises it again through the prophet Jeremiah later on. But I think the clearest place uh, that he promises it is through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 this is what he says and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you I will take out your stony stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart but the reality is those the first uh, people to uh, read Deuteronomy the first people to hear the prophet Jeremiah or the prophet Ezekiel died without seeing that day. Actually, as even Jeremiah and Ezekiel lay this out, this, this is talking about a day in the future for those guys. There's a coming day, they said, when things are going to be different, when a new day is going to come in, when the Messiah will come, when the chosen one will come to rescue God's people, where he'll, he'll make a whole new arrangement, an agreement about how to relate uh, to how God's people will relate to him, make a new covenant even. On that day, this will happen. And then in the first century AD, years later, Jesus of Nazareth started teaching around Galilee. And he started calling himself things like the son of man and the son of God. And people started clocking, wait a minute, it could be him. Isn't this the Messiah? Is this the new day that we've been promised? And as if to give a little nod to them, he starts saying, the kingdom is here. The kingdom, the new day is upon you. I am bringing in a new way to relate to God for people. 
And he said to them, as we've seen, this is how he taught. You've heard that it was said, do your best to follow the rules. Avoid making any enormous blunders. That's what you've heard. But I tell you, in my kingdom, it's the pure of heart who will see God. The pure of heart who will see God. And we hear that first of all and we find it threatening. We think that's so challenging. We were struggling with the murder and adultery and now we've got to deal with heart. Oh, Jesus, you're breaking us here. And it is raising the stakes. But can you see what else Jesus is doing? He's Yes, he's saying this is serious. He's telling us that we need to do some things. But at the same time, he's hinting at the precise reason he came in the first place. Citizens of the kingdom serve God in their hearts as well as in their public actions. But they do it not because they're better than anybody else, but because their king is the one who is uniquely able to change hearts. He's the stone heart softener. His spirit is the agent through which our hard hearts can be removed, got rid of and replaced with hearts that are tender and open to God. So for you guys today who've heard these warnings and you've taken them in and you understand them, but you fear that you've gone too far and you look at your heart and you see it's stone and it's not changing anytime soon. I want you to hear this encouragement. These warnings and these challenges are coming from the very same one who can fix your heart, who can change your heart. Yes, I know on your own you can't do it, but he promised he could help. And if Jesus is true to his word, it's not just that his teachings are wise, but he's the stone heart softener. And he can do it for me and he can do it for you. And he's done it to millions and millions of people already. Yeah, we, we need to take Jesus' challenges seriously. We need to act on them. But at the same time, we need to fall back on Jesus' mercy and we need to give him our hearts again. Can you do that? Through all the pain and the disappointment and the guilt and the hopelessness, I think if Jesus was here today, he'd say to you, let's get things in the right order here. Will you give me your heart again? Will you repent and come back to me again? Will you drink deep from my spirit again? For some of you, those phrases might mean something very practical to you. I recognise for others, they just might sound like jargon. You don't know what that would mean. Well, if that's the case, please talk to one of the church leaders at one of the church central churches or uh, if you're from another church, from one of your church leaders about this sort of stuff and what that might look like. But I guess in its simplest form, I think it starts with a prayer. I'd recommend this prayer to you. If you're in that position, why don't you pray something like this? Jesus, I'm sorry that I've got stuck in lust. I'm sorry I've got stuck in sexual relationships that aren't right. I'm sorry that I've not loved my spouse as I should. I want to keep trying to live your way. Please help me. I give you my heart again. I trust you with my heart again. Please soften it. And as we pray prayers like that, 
I think then he'd come back to us and he'd look us in the eye again and he'd say, right, my son, my daughter, I love you. Now, this is what I want you to do. Keep battling lust in your life. Pick up the battle against pornography again. Keep working on your marriage. This is important. This is deadly serious. But if you want me to be, Jesus would say, I can be with you in it. 